0: nathan and i'm the online pastor at parkview if this is your first time hanging out with us here's what you need to know we are a church full of imperfect people trying to become more like jesus every day no matter what your background is or where you are on your faith journey you are welcome here and we want to help you take steps toward god so during service or quite honestly whenever you feel like it Go to parkviewchurch.com slash next steps and start a conversation with our team about what that step might look like for you. We are officially in Christmas season mode around here. Uh, So as we approach the whirlwind of the holidays, especially the 2020 version of the holidays, here are two things to keep on your radar. First, Christmas at Parkview is going to be an amazing experience both online and in person. Whether you plan to join us online or in person, be thinking of the people you are going to invite to experience Christmas at Parkview with you and your family. Christmas is the perfect opportunity to share the hope of Jesus with people in our circles of influences who really need to hear it right now. If you are planning to attend an in-person gathering, you're going to need a ticket to get into the auditoriums at each of our physical locations because that's just the world we're living in right now. And don't miss this. Tickets will be available online, first come, first served, starting Sunday, December 6th at 8 a.m. So put that date on your calendar and grab your tickets before they're gone. And then later today, when you forget everything I just said, go to christmasatparkview.com where you can find all the information you need. Oh, and by the way, if you'd like to volunteer at one of our Christmas services, we can really use your help. Just go to that same website to get signed up. Finally. We've got something planned for you and your family that, at least in my opinion, will help us keep the main thing the main thing during this season. Here it is. On December 1st, we're kicking off a countdown to Christmas. Each day leading up to Christmas, on every online platform you can think of, we will stream a short devotional from a Parkview staff member, along with a Christmas song performed by our own worship team. The devotional thoughts will help us better understand the power And beauty of the Christmas story, and keep us focused on our Shepherd in the middle of this thing that we call life. You can find more information at at ChristmasatParkview.com. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Glad you're here.
1: Hey, Parkview. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Let me tell you a story. Phillips Brooks was a burned-out pastor. He uh, he was known as the most dynamic and inspirational pastor of his time, but his heart was hard and his soul was empty. It was in the mid twenties when Phillips Brooks had become the pastor of the Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia. He persuaded a salesman and a musician named Louis Redner to be his partner and uh, help him grow the church and. Um, he became the superintendent of the Sunday school and the organist, and, and they partnered together, and the church just exploded in growth. But then came the Civil War, and the mood of the church turned very somber, as you could imagine. Women were wearing black. They were mourning the loss of their sons and, and their husbands and, and fathers, and darkness was heavy over every facet of the worship service. And he tried to be inspirational you know, and encourage his people, but it was draining, and when the war ended, you know, he thought the vitality and the joy of the church would immediately return, but it didn't. And then Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, and the pain intensified. And Brooks was not the president's actual pastor, but because he was such a great orator, he was asked to preach the president's funeral. So he reached down deep to try to inspire the whole nation, um, and and he did, um, but. After that, he was so burned out, he just couldn't rekindle his spiritual flame. So Brooks asked uh, his congregation for a sabbatical and took off and went to the Holy Land. And from that experience came the idea for the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Maybe that's where you are this year. I mean, it's the hardest Thanksgiving most of us have ever seen. Oddly enough, the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Mayflower, and that was a hard one. But but the thing for me, my family Thanksgiving is usually a good family holiday for us. It's usually actually the best. Christmas gets jacked up, you know, like yours does and you know because of my job and now my kids' jobs and um, yeah but I love Thanksgiving. However, this year Thanksgiving probably like only one of a handful of Thanksgivings ever. we didn't get to sing the doxology around the the table with my parents or my, my in-laws, my my wife's folks, my wife's dad, who's still around, and we talked in our family about how hard this year has been on all of our own kids, and I was kind of surprised to learn how, how deep some of the pain went, and that's probably what exactly happened at your table, if you even had one. So for Christmas this year, we're gonna take a look at some of our beloved Christmas songs, Um, the Christmas carols, the ones we sing every year, but maybe you don't understand the lyrics and uh, maybe it just doesn't mean anything to you. So kinda like the 23rd Psalm, we got so much meaning out of words that maybe we've said many, many times. I wanna take Christmas and get deep meaning out of the words that we've sung maybe many, many times because I believe we need them more now than ever before. we're going to do one more service that's online only, and then we'll come back on the 13th and, and do a, a service live, and then we'll be back for Christmas. And listen, let me just ask a favor. Go to christmasatparkview.com and sign up to help us, because we are likely going to do more services this year than we've ever done before, because we're still going to do distancing and, and limits and all those kinds of things, but we want to try to get as many people in as we can, so I really encourage you to do that. So Phillips Brooks, who wrote A Little Town of Bethlehem, was inspired by Bethlehem. I've also been to Bethlehem and honestly, it's one of my least favorite places to go in the Holy Land now. It's a lot different than it was when Phillips Brooks was there 150 years ago. There are some places in the Holy Land that inspire, inspire you like you could never imagine, but there are others that just have become oversaturated with church stuff and, and they frustrate you and Bethlehem is one of those because someone claims they have the actual spot where Jesus was born, so there are three churches built up over it and it's, it, it, It's not very meaningful when you're in that place. If you get out to the shepherd's field, it's great, but it's different than it used to be. They do have an excellent cafe, however. Here's my picture in front of the Stars and Bucks Cafe. Evidently, they feel like they're far enough away from copyright infringement that nobody's gonna really care. But then again, Bethlehem back in the day, in the day 2,000 years ago, wasn't very impressive either. It was kind of a suburb of Jerusalem, it was estimated that its population was probably around 150 people, no important crossroads, no notable resources whatsoever. It was just a quiet shepherding community noted for two things. One, it was the birthplace of the greatest king Israel had ever known, King David, and two, it was prophesied that it would be the birthplace of the Messiah who would inherit David's throne, okay? So so here's the deal. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Micah wrote, but you, O Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Okay, The coming ruler was to be born in Bethlehem. That wouldn't be his origin, however. It says from ancient times, which you should read if you interpret it the right way, before there was time. The Messiah was to be born before there was time because he was the Alpha and Omega. He was the beginning and the end. He was before there was time and after there was time. If you don't really know the Christmas story, it's okay. We're we're glad you're here. We just decided, you know, that we want to take a look at the story again like we do every Christmas cuz it's so inspirational. So, even If you decided to celebrate Christmas this year just because it's easier to spell than Kwanzaa or Hanukkah, we welcome you, and we will explain it to you, okay? Here's the story. One day, God sent the angel Gabriel to visit a woman named Mary who lived in Nazareth, which was 80 miles north of Bethlehem, and he he informed her that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. And Gabriel must have been confused because he thought the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, so Gabriel is waiting for six months, right, up in heaven, seven months, eight months, like, hey, how's this Bethlehem going to happen? And she's getting pretty big now, and it's going to be hard to travel now, so God, what do you got going on? It's a different perspective for us this year because our youngest daughter, Becca, is expecting their first and our sixth on 1-21-21, that's that's the due date. So they won't come for Christmas this year, no matter what's going on with the coronavirus, because the doctors say she's too close. She can't fly for four hours to come and see (laughs) us. Mary didn't have a doctor. She didn't have anybody to make her stay home. So she rode 80 miles on a donkey and went into labor. Well, of course she did in Bethlehem. My wife and I were seven months pregnant with our middle daughter, Lauren, who you heard from last week, when we moved here that's almost 31 years ago, right after Christmas. And even just the stress of the move from St. Louis to Chicago and moving with all the great people we had to help us still sent Denise into premature labor the first night we lived here, which was a Saturday. So I almost missed my first sermon at this church because my wife and I had been at the hospital all night. Should have been a sign, but Joseph and Mary are from Nazareth and She's too late term to really travel, but you know, enter the government. Stage left, enter the government. And that's always going to make things better, right? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to his town to register. So Joseph went from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem in the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Okay, listen. They have the baby, they spend the first few years in Bethlehem, but this got confusing for people, okay? And they were confused because the people knew, everybody knew that the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, but Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Like later on, when Jesus is teaching, it says, on hearing his word, some of the people said, dude, this guy's gotta be a prophet. And the others said, no, he's the Christ. And still others said, how can Christ come from Galilee? Do not the scriptures say that he will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, right? Yeah, everybody knew that. This is one of my great frustrations about people mixing stuff up about God and the Bible, okay? Maybe before you write it off, would you just check it out? I mean, how can, how can Christ be from Galilee and be born in Bethlehem? Well, maybe he moved. Did you ever ask where he was born? His mom and dad were from Galilee and there was this census. Did you remember the census? And you hear about it, right? And they had to go to where they were from and they were from the house and line of David. And while he was there, while they were there, the baby was born. And then they ran to Egypt because crazy King Herod was trying to kill him. And they finally made it back to Galilee to their hometown. Okay. It all goes together if you just dig in a little bit. Please, before you try disproving the story, do some back work, okay? Before you go posting stuff, do some background work. But honestly, Bethlehem is just one of the many parts of the Christmas story that really don't add up, and, and I get it, okay? At least in our thinking, okay? It's just not that you would expect the Son of God to be born into this world in Bethlehem, but God had a plan, he promised about Bethlehem and he already had a star up there guiding other people to it. This is a new thought for me this year. I've been doing Christmas a lot, you know, my life, um, but, but I, I, do you know how stars work? You know about the light years and how far stars are away and how many light years it takes for them to get to the place where we can see them? The Bible tells us that Jesus knew he would have to come and die from the creation of the world. Wouldn't it be crazy to find out someday when we get all our questions answered that that when God created the heavens and the earth, he put this one star up there right then so that the light would start to move towards the wise men all those years later and lead them to the Messiah? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, yes, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked where's the one who's been born the king of the Jews we saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him and when King Herod heard this he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him because he had to be in charge and when he called the people together the chief priests and the teachers of the law he said where's the Christ to be born and they said oh right over there in Bethlehem in Judea this is what the prophet has written but you Bethlehem In the land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. I'll never understand the Bethlehem Chamber of Commerce, you guys, I never will. I know it's a... You know, I mean, it's a small place, but you'd think the population sign would at least say, you know, population 150, birthplace of King David, and future birthplace of the Messiah. You would think an enterprising business person would put up a Messiah village there with a petting zoo and some carnival rides and some Messiah jerky, I don't know. But, but I know, I know you're wondering, you're curious. Um, no, there's not a sign on my birth town with my name on it either, so maybe that's just the way it goes. My town that I was born in is so small, it's not normally listed on the towns that are listed in Missouri. It's called Roby, Missouri. I mean, you wanna talk about a map dot? That's where I was born. Here it is on Google Maps, you have to zoom in pretty close to even find it. It's a gas station and a post office, that's it. My parents were in Bible college and they had a weekend ministry over in Roby, Missouri, That's right, I was conceived at Bible college. Why does that shock you? Someday, I'm just hoping that maybe I'll just do it myself. I'll go get a sign, um, you know, it says, Welcome to Roby, Missouri, population, and I'll make it up. Birthplace of Tim Harlow. Because I don't think anybody will notice driving by anyway. Bethlehem is that insignificant. In size and population that as they list the cities in Judah, there's no mention of Bethlehem. Not until David comes along. Look at the scripture again. But you, this is the prophecy in Micah. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come the one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. See, you guys, there's always been a plan for the Redeemer. It starts in Genesis 3.15 when God says there will be one who will come and defeat Satan. It gets clearer when we get to Abraham and the Jews are called out as special people. And then there's a particular tribe called Judah. And then there's a family that is David's family and the very town of his birth here in Micah 5.2. And then it falls into place at Christmas time. And there's a detail of the story that I think we often miss when we about this story it's that i don't think mary and joseph were surprised when they ended up in bethlehem they knew all along the baby was going to be born in bethlehem i'm sure that when they heard the decree from caesar they turned to each other and just said it's on but i would also guess that they would assume that if they're going to have god's son that god would take care of the details that being the mother of the Son of God would have some perks, you know, some advantages. Like, I don't know, maybe pain-free labor or something like that. Maybe at least a decent room at the end for crying out loud. I just always imagine Joseph in the middle of the night after Jesus is born, because babies are always born in the middle of the night. He walks out with the baby while Mary's trying to rest and he's out and he looks up just a few miles away In the night air, as he's out there trying to calm the new baby, he looks up at King Herod's palace in the distance and and sees this beautiful palace that was 90 feet tall. It was the third largest palace of the day, and he would have easily been able to see it from Bethlehem and and have Joseph just say, Really? Did, Did I get this right? And maybe that's where you're at this crazy COVID Christmas. So here's the question, why Bethlehem? Why Bethlehem? And the answer is because Bethlehem shows the power of God. God's power is so great that he doesn't need Rome to accomplish his purpose. Bethlehem is fine. He doesn't need Athens or Alexandria. He doesn't even need Jerusalem. Bethlehem is fine. God does some of his best work in places like Bethlehem. Paul in the New Testament said, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. We need to hear that the way in which God works because it's so contrary to the norm of our world. We idolize the great and the powerful and the rich and the mighty, but God chooses to work through the tiny, the weak, the poor, and the insignificant, which makes the contrast in this story so amazing. R.C. Sproul wrote a Christmas devotional many years ago called Big King, Little King. Once upon a time in the tiny land of Palestine, two kings were alive at the same time and in the same place. One of the kings was about 70 years old and the other king was an infant. The big king was evil. The little king was pure. The big king was rich and powerful. The little king was stricken with poverty. The big king lived in an opulent palace. The little king lived in a stable. The big king's name was Herod. He was called the Great. What he really wanted was to kill the little king The big king died and is now remembered as the little king. The little king grew up and became Jesus, the greatest, the king of kings and lord of lords. Why Bethlehem? Because God wants to demonstrate that no matter who or what, his power is enough to turn the small into 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 the significant. This is what Lauren and I were talking about last night. It's not about our power, not about God not giving us more than we could handle, it's about the power that lives inside of us, all things through Christ who strengthens me. So often we think to ourselves, I have nothing to offer, I'm young, I'm uneducated, no talents, a little money, the, end, the list is endless, right? So you think there is nothing to offer and there's nothing you can bring, but that's when God does his work. Bethlehem was insignificant because that is the place where God chooses to make significance in the insignificant. Kyle Eidelman, my friend calls it this. He calls it the Bethlehem effect. Something insignificant that is made significant only by God. It is what God did for us at Christmas, and it is what God will do for us in 2020. He will choose the most unlikely places to do incredible things. He will choose the most ordinary people to do the most extraordinary things. He will step into impossible circumstances and turn it into Christmas because that's what he does. So we never lose faith because we never give up hope because we worship a God who doesn't need big. Don't you know that the shepherds in the area of Bethlehem would always tell their story to their children of King David and how King David grew up right around here, right around Bethlehem. I mean, we hear this story. I told it a few weeks ago in Psalm 23 uh, when I talked about God anointing us with oil, how David was the youngest and he wasn't even listed among the sons of Jesse when Samuel shows up to anoint the new king of Israel. All of Jesse's sons were there except for little old David. And and Samuel goes, hey, um, none of these guys are gonna be the king. Do you have any more sons? And, they, and, and Jesse said, yeah, well, there's, there's the youngest. He's out tending sheep. They didn't even call him a shepherd. He hadn't even graduated up to shepherd level. Now he was just like hanging out with the sheep while the big sons, the significant sons could be there because surely one of them was going to be the next king of Israel. And, 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 Je- and Samuel said, no, that's not the way it works. Go get him. And when David came... When David the insignificant came, he became David the great. This is the shepherd that will become king. I want to tell you about something that we're doing. Um, We're going to have a short devotional every day in December, starting December 1st. Kind of an advent thing for you to do called Jesse's Tree. And we're going to start with a story of Jesse. And we're going to take you all the way through the story of Jesus with one little devotional every day. And, and I want to encourage you, while we're in the midst of this stuff, this will be a real great thing for you to jump in and, and, and participate in. I just can't help but wonder if those insignificant shepherds in that, outside of that insignificant Bethlehem, the home of David, on that first Christmas... 2000 years ago, had spoken that story so often, wonder if they were giving that story to somebody again, right when the angel showed up and said, hey, lowly shepherds, you're up again. Cue the shepherds. Why shepherds? Power of God. They're insignificant, right? It's not just why Bethlehem, it's why the shepherds, it's why Mary, right? I mean, they were surprised to find this baby in a feeding trough and a young teenage mother in the stable. Why would he choose Mary? She didn't have much to offer. She was from this little town in Nazareth, nothing, she had nothing that would show up on a resume. She'd done nothing important. The Bible doesn't tell us much about Mary except that she was obedient as the insignificant She and Joseph were so poor, they didn't even have enough money to do the law the right way when they dedicated Jesus at the temple. They couldn't afford a sacrificial lamb for the sacrificial lamb of God. Is this really the best person to be the mother of the Son of God? Should she be the one entrusted with training and teaching the Son of God? Why would he he choose Mary? Because It proves his power because it's about him and not us. One thing you should have really learned by now, if you've been listening to me for any time, is that God does have a purpose for you. And just because you feel like a Bethlehem or a shepherd or a Mary, doesn't make you insignificant. Jesus was born to show the common people how much the Father loves them. In a little town in Bethlehem, most of the world is poor, at least in comparison to us. They would feel uncomfortable in the affluent surroundings of the palace of the rich, but nobody is out of place in a stable. The poor, the humble, little people of the world can gather around this story and understand that the baby born there really came for them good news of great joy that is for all people what is your excuse for not allowing God to work in your life Christmas of 2020 I bring you good news today in the town of David David the shepherd today in the town of Bethlehem a savior has been born He is Christ the Lord. So Phillips Brooks takes his time off after presiding over the funeral of Abraham Lincoln, and he goes to the Holy Land to restore his soul. And it happened on a Christmas Eve day in Jerusalem. He and several others mounted horses and took off riding. It was a wonderful, life-changing afternoon for him. He prayed, he spent time alone with God, and at dusk when the first stars came out, he rode into the tiny village of Bethlehem, which it would have been at the time. The town at that point hadn't changed much since Jesus was born. And it lifted Brooks's spirits to be within a few feet of the very spot where the king of kings came to the insignificant. And there was singing in a church of the nativity, and he felt surrounded by the Spirit of God. And he wrote in his diary, again and again, it seemed as if I could hear voices I know well. This is what I'm praying for you. Voices I know well, telling each other of the Savior's birth. Before dark, we rode out of town to the field where they say the shepherds saw the angel. And as we passed, shepherds were still keeping watch over their flocks. Somewhere in those fields, we rode right through where the shepherds must have been. And as it grew increasingly dark, he said, they sat on a hillside looking at the flickering lights of the small town of Bethlehem. And there was this wonderful stirring in his soul. And he later told friends that it was an experience that overpowered him so much that there would always be singing. His quote was, always be singing in my soul. And many of us that have been to the Holy Land would tell you the same thing. For most of us, it's the empty tomb or the Sea of Galilee, but it is unbelievable to to realize that you're there. For Brooks, it was the fields of Bethlehem, and a few weeks later, when he returned from his sabbatical, he had a renewed vigor. And when he tried to explain it to his congregation, he just couldn't get the words out. So it was three years later, leading up to the holidays, when he was reflecting on that evening outside of Bethlehem, And he decided to try to write his experience as a poem. And a simple poem came easily to mind. And he wrote it down and he shared it with his his buddy, Louis Radner, the musician. And when the musician read, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie, he somehow realized the power of what Brooks had experienced in the Holy Land. And he knew he had to compose a tune to fit that poem. But no matter how hard he tried, nothing came to him. He went to bed, this is a true story, he went to bed on Christmas Eve feeling like he had failed. But that night a simple tune came to him while he was lying in bed and he got up, wiped the sleep from his eyes and discovered that the words of the poem fit perfectly to the tune that God had given him. So as if completely orchestrated by God because it was Christmas morning of 1868, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem was complete. It was sung at their church that year and quickly became a favorite in Philadelphia. And by the time Phillips Brooks died 25 years later, it had become one of the best love Christmas carols in the world. It's the song of a dedicated Christian in search of spiritual renewal and God touched his life in a supernatural way. And I'd love for you to sing it with us today. O little town of Bethlehem, we'll have the the group do it in a second. Let me just quote it for you. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Sing it with us.
2: Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell.
0: can never argue with is that God is a generous God. And almost as though God planned it this way or something, the best way to live is to live generously. One of the ways you can practice generosity over the next week is by participating in Parkview's annual Christmas giving initiative. Every year, the Parkview family comes together to resource two of our partner ministries so that they can better serve the people in their communities. So I wanna challenge you wherever you live, whether you're in Chicagoland or on the other side of the globe, to go to parkviewchurch.com slash Christmas giving and help us be the hands and feet of Jesus. Another way to practice generosity is by giving back to God some of what he's given to you. If you are already giving regularly to Parkview, thank you. God is doing amazing things with your resources. And if you're ready to start supporting the mission of Parkview, you can set that up at parkviewchurch.com slash give. Ultimately, we want you to see what it's like to live a life of generosity because there are very few things better than that. Thanks for joining us today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. See you next time.